Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. Really glad to have a full house. This is awesome. Must not be anything to do outside today, right? I mean, this is great. (laughs) Glad to have everyone. Hey, um, I don't know if you noticed it, but things looked a little bit nicer on the outside of the building when we came in today. How many of you noticed that? Yeah. So we had a uh, work day yesterday where we put out a bunch of mulch, cut down some trees, cleaned up all the weeds. So I just want to thank everyone that helped with that. If you helped, would you please stand? These people don't like to stand, but if you helped, please stand. Let's just give them a hand. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, it looks so much nicer out there. There was a tree right outside of my office that is now gone. I'm so happy. Just I can see out my window now. I'm so happy. Um, So this coming week is, uh, this is Easter week. This is Holy Week. And I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to this week for months. And so this is a great time to be part of the church. I did want to point out a couple of things that are happening this week. So Thursday night, we are having a Passover Seder meal. Jim and Vicki Overholzer are going to be leading that. And we're going to be celebrating what it was like to have a, a Passover meal like what Jesus did. And that's on Thursday night. The cost is $5, and we are filling up. In fact, we have turned off the online registration this morning, and we only have about 15 to 17 slots, something like that, available. So if you want to be part of that, uh, I would encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center and sign up right after service, and then we'll turn it back on once we know how many people have actually registered. But that is filling up. So that's this Thursday at 6 o'clock. And if you've never been part of a Passover Seder meal, I would encourage you to sign up for it. It is quite an experience, so I'd encourage you to do that. And then on Friday is our Good Friday service at 6 o'clock here at the church. And at that service, we are going to uh, remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. And every year, uh, the, the Good Friday services that I've attended have been some of the most meaningful services I've been part of. So I'd encourage you to come. It's not going to be a super long service. It starts at 6 o'clock. And uh, we will be taking communion there, just a reminder for that, because uh, I know many people have asked me, when are we doing communion again? It'll be at our Good Friday service. And then Tony alluded to this Easter Sunday, we are moving to two services. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, there's three of us that are super excited about that. Thank you guys for being excited. <laughs> Uh, a couple of reasons why. One is, just so you know, if you're sitting in the back row, it's just not the best place to sit, is it? No, it's just not. Can you hear me at all? You know, kind of. Yeah, maybe. They can barely see. I can barely see them. And so it's nice to have people sitting closer up front. And then also, if you're new today and you're sitting by somebody you don't know, I'm sorry. You know, it's nice to have those open seats as well. So by moving to two services, that's going to give us more room for more people to come to the church. It also is allowing our children's ministry team to be able to serve during one service and then attend another service. 
Um, because ever since the church started, if you served in children's ministry, that meant you, you missed the entire service. So I'm excited about having that opportunity. So that's coming on next Sunday during Easter, on Easter Sunday. And I would encourage you, invite a friend. There will be more room. Uh, we have two services, 9, 15, and 11. So invite a friend, bring a friend, and uh, let's celebrate Jesus' resurrection together. So today, we are continuing our series called The Final Countdown, Remembering Jesus' Last Days. And it's a series about, really, this week, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And it's Jesus' last final days, you know, kind of that countdown. And you could say it was a countdown for the crucifixion, or it could have been a countdown to the resurrection. So that's what this series has been about. And last week, Matt LaFree taught on a message called Jesus Uncorked, learning from Jesus' emotional outburst. And he did a great job. Good job, Matt. That was a good message. Uh, but it was about when Jesus got upset and cleared the temple. And Matt did a great job on that message. So if you missed it, you certainly want to check that out online. You can check it out listen to it at the, vine or the Vineyard. Is that great? Wow, what is our website? Lighthousevineyard.church. <laughs> you know, for some of you that don't know, that is the name of the church website where I was at for, uh, well, 21 years, actually, but I was on staff for 11 years. And, and Rose and I visited last night. They had a celebration of uh, finishing their REACH project and being out of debt and celebrated uh, Pastor Matt Poorman, who is planting a church over in the Osceola area called Cornerstone Vineyard. And there was a, a prayer of sending. And so we got to, to go and participate and actually pray for Matt. It was super exciting, but I got confused. Now I said the Vineyard website. So sorry about that. Anyway, the two points that Matt made was uh, Jesus gets angry at ingenuine religious acts, and Jesus is happy with genuine relationships. So today, today we're going to be looking at the Last Supper, the Last Supper, so the last night that Jesus had with his disciples. And when we think about the Last Supper, I always think of this painting by Leonardo da Vinci, and it's a very famous painting. People try to identify which of the, disciple, which of the disciples is whom up there. But most biblical scholars would say that that's not quite what the Last Supper looked like. Uh, they were actually probably reclining on pillows on the ground with a table in the center, and they were more in a circular manner. It was more personal and intimate than what this showed. But we'll be reading the scriptures around the Last Supper this morning, and I'll give you a couple of observations on it. So if you would like to, you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, and we'll also be in John chapter 13, if you want to put a finger over on that too, you can as well. So just to set up the scripture, this is kind of the Holy Week, so we're going to kind of talk through the Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, and I love doing that, that offering today, because on Palm Sunday, that's when Jesus was honored. He came in riding on a colt, and they were just shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That happened, you know, what, 2,000 and some years ago today. That was what was happening on Palm Sunday. 
And then many biblical scholars would say that he came in, took a look at the temple, went out to Bethany, and then went back on Monday and cleared the temple. He just couldn't take it. So he cleared out the temple courts, and he began to teach in the temple courts. And then on Tuesday or Wednesday, nobody's sure for sure when this was, is when Jesus was in Bethany reclining at a table and a woman came in and anointed him with very expensive perfume, which is one of the messages we talked about. So that was Tuesday or Wednesday. And so then we're coming into Thursday. So our message today is going to focus on Thursday. All right, so at this point, this is Thursday of Holy Week, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, has already agreed to betray Jesus for 30 silver coins. He's already made that decision. He's actually looking for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law who have all gathered together planning to execute Jesus. So that's an important part of the story. So Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, before we continue, I just want to make a point on this. So Judas had already agreed to betray Jesus. And he was looking for an opportunity to turn him over to the chief priests and the Pharisees and so on, and all the soldiers. But he didn't want to do that in front of everybody because Jesus was in the temple courts teaching all day, every day. But the teachers of the law knew, well, if we try to arrest him in front of everyone, we're going to have a riot on our hands because he's known as a prophet and even possibly the Messiah. And so a perfect time to betray Jesus is this night. It's Thursday night. It's in this upper room. I mean, you can imagine they're cornered, they're in an upper room, soldiers showing up, they, they can arrest Jesus. Well, Jesus knows this. And so Judas is around, and he knows they're going to do a Passover meal, and I'm guessing that Judas is just waiting. Where are we going to eat this? If I only know where they're going to, we're going to eat it, I'm going to run off and tell the, the soldiers, and they're going to come and arrest Jesus. Jesus knows all of this. And so what's he say? He says to two of his disciples, go into the city and you'll meet a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him to a house and then go up into the upper room and that's where you should prepare it. <laughs> Judas has no clue where this is going to be because Jesus is using a prophetic gift to say, you're going to meet a man, he's going to take you to a house and you're going to go up into an upper room and Judas is like, oh, <laughs> I don't know where that is. You know, Jesus, and the reason Jesus does this, I really believe, is because he knows he's going to be arrested and, and he submitted his life to that, but he wants this last evening with the disciples. He doesn't want it to be interrupted. It's such an important moment. All right, so 
moving on, verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and this is in the upper room with the disciples. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them. So in, and in Luke's account of this story, he quotes Jesus as saying, do this in remembrance of me. So this is where we get the ceremony of communion. Okay, this is where we get it. And it's an opportunity to remember Jesus' willingness to lay down his life for us. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. Again, just a reminder, Good Friday service, 6 o'clock. Just encourage you to come to that. To that. So now, go ahead. We're going to shift over to John chapter 13. I love the, the four books of the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they give four different perspectives of the same event many times. And so there's more information, more details in the book of John, so we're going to continue from there. I'm not done yet, so just saying. Okay. Sorry about that. That's not the light to have a stop. Are we good? <laughs> we, oh, sorry about that, guys. All right, so John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. And it's, it's interesting that they voice Peter's objection because all the disciples were thinking that. Peter was just the disciple that always said what everybody else was thinking. Because washing someone's feet was like the lowliest of lows. Only servants did that. And so they're like, you're our teacher. You're our master. You're the Messiah. What are you doing? I mean, that was the confusion that was happening. But fortunately, Jesus goes on to explain it in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is modeling what it means to serve one another. It's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful picture of servant leadership. Now, we don't have time to read the rest of it, but what, just to summarize it, so 
He then announces that one of the 12 disciples is going to betray him. He talks to Judas, and he says, what you're about to do, go do quickly. And he sends Judas off. The rest of the, of the disciples don't understand that it's Judas at that time. They think Judas is just going off to, to buy some supplies for them. But Judas runs off, and he talks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he, and he tells them where Jesus is at. And the disciples. So then Jesus knows that he's on borrowed time. And so he takes the next three chapters. This is John chapters 14 through 17 to pray for them, to give them some final instructions. They actually sing a hymn, and then they leave that upper room, probably before the soldiers you know, show up. He leaves the upper room, heads out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays late into the night until Judas and the soldiers find him and arrest him. And we're going to pick up that portion of the story on Good Friday. So I'd encourage you. Come on, Good Friday, as we continue the story. But today's message is titled, The Last Supper, Showing Love to the Very End. Now, let me pray, and I'll give you two observations. So, Father, we come to you, and we know that everything that you have done is for a purpose. And we thank you for all of these different details of that last evening and, and the significance of them. And Jesus, we thank you for being willing to die for us. And Lord, I pray that you would bring out the points that we need to hear personally, each one of us, today. And we invite your Holy Spirit to come and minister to us individually, God. Let your words be spoken in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can fill this in on your handout if you would like. Two observations from the Last Supper. Number one, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now, to really understand what that means, the Passover lamb, you have to go back to the very first Passover. So let me take you there. Because many of us have read the story about the 10 plagues. So we have the Israelites, they're, they're slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Moses is on the scene. His job is to free the Israelites, to bring them out um, away from Egypt. And, but he's not doing it on his own strength. He's got God on his side. And so there has been nine plagues so far. There's been the plague of darkness, the plague of hail. There's been the plague of, what do you got, the, the mice, the frogs. You have all these plagues that have happened, all right? And so, is there a plague of mice? I just want to make sure. Lice. Lice. Why did I say mice? Lice. There are lice. Locusts, all kinds. You guys can say them. All right, so it comes down to the 10th plague, though. The 10th plague is the death of every firstborn son. Every firstborn son. So God is going to come down, and he's going to wipe out the firstborn son of every family in Egypt. But he doesn't want to take out the firstborn sons of those in Israel. So he gives them a command. He says, you need to kill a Passover lamb, it becomes known as the Passover lamb, you need to kill a lamb as your sacrifice, and you need to prepare the meat, eat the meat, and then take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost as a protection. So this is in Exodus chapter 12, verse, verses 12 and 13. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord." The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, 
And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And that's where we get the name Passover. So God was going to pass over the Israelite homes that had the blood on their doorposts. God then commands the Israelites to do this as a ceremony for the generations to come. This is in verse 25. He says, when you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And that was the Passover meal that Jesus was eating with his disciples. Thousands of years later, they were doing this ceremony. They had sacrificed the Passover lamb. They were eating it. And most likely, they had taken the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of the house that they were eating in. They were remembering how the Passover's lamb how the Passover lamb's death had saved their ancestors from that plague. Now, in Luke's version of the Last Supper, it says this, that Jesus spoke. He says, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. They had been doing this Passover for thousands of years, thinking that it was really just to remember God's salvation thousands of years earlier. But really, it was a predictor of God's salvation that day. See, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. And when Jesus says to eat the bread, I says, this is my body given for you. It's much like the Passover lamb, where they were eating the meat of the Passover lamb. And when he says to drink the cup, and remember, this is the blood that was spilled for you, my blood. It was much like the Passover lamb's blood that was shed and put on the doorposts as a way of salvation. Jesus was giving his life as the eternal Passover lamb. John the Baptist even prophesied this. He says in John, uh, it says in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and, and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even back then, Jesus was being prophesied as the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who died to take away our sins. But we have to be willing to receive that sacrifice. I was thinking about this this week. The Israelites were not known for following directions very well. They were, they were called a stiff-necked people at different times. And so I'm guessing when Moses said, hey, make sure that you sacrifice a lamb, one-year-old, without defect, and that you take the blood and put it on your doorpost and you bring your whole family in and you eat it, I'm guessing there were a few families that said, we don't need to do that. We like our lamb. We're not going to do that. 
Or I'm not hungry for lamb. I had it last night, so we're not going to do that. But that night, most likely, if that's what they did, not most likely, if that's what they did, their firstborn son was sacrificed, was, was killed by God. See, they had a choice. The opportunity for salvation was right there in front of them, but yet they had a choice. They had to receive that salvation. We had, they had to let the Passover lamb sacrifice pay for their sins. And that's the way it is for us, too. Jesus is the Passover sacrifice for our sins. But each one of us has a decision to make. Am I going to accept that? Am I going to let Jesus' blood wash away my sins? His death pay the death on the cross for me. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and received that gift of salvation, I want to encourage you to do that today. Don't wait. I mean, there will be an opportunity next Sunday as well. We'll be talking about a salvation message next Sunday. But if, if that's you and you're like, I need to receive the forgiveness of my sins and receive the gift of salvation, I would encourage you, come up after service. Tell the prayer team member. Let them pray with you. Don't leave this place without having Jesus be your sacrificial lamb. That's the first observation, is that Jesus is our Passover lamb. The second one is this. Jesus showed us how to love our enemies. Jesus showed us how to love our enemies. Let's talk about when he was washing the disciples' feet. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Now, we have to get a perspective of this, because I grew up in a Mennonite church where we actually, when we took communion, we, we washed one another's feet, but it wasn't quite the same. Now, whoever's feet I was usually washing had probably taken a shower that day. They were wearing socks and shoes. You know, it wasn't that bad of an experience. But back then, this is a picture of what it probably looked like, the, the disciples' feet. The roads were dirty and dusty. They were wearing sandals, open-soled, open-toed shoes. Um, they were walking along, and their feet, they walked everywhere, in the dirt, in the dust, in the mud. Their feet would just become filthy. That's what happened. And so this custom of going into somebody's house and having your feet washed was pretty normal. But usually... It was a servant who would do it. Because if you came into somebody's house, took off your sandals, I mean, there's dirt caked on them, and, and you didn't want to track that around the person's house. So they'd have a servant come up and wash your feet, and it was just kind of part of the deal. Jesus is bending down and washing the disciples' feet. This week, as I was thinking about that, I mean, feet like that. I mean, that took some scrubbing. That took some time to get all the dirt and grime off. He washed 24 feet. Dirty, stinky, grimy feet. This wasn't a small deal. This was an act of love and an act of service to his disciples. He wanted his disciples to understand the golden rule, this concept of servant leadership, this concept of loving others. Luke 6.31 says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. 
So by washing their feet, he was, he was showing, hey, I'm your teacher, I'm your Lord, so you should do what I do. Washes each other's feet. You know, just that concept of servant leadership. And I think they were getting that. I think they saw that, they understood that. But there was one more lesson to be taught that evening. He washed 24 feet. He washed Judas's feet. Now, if I was Jesus, and you guys are all lucky that I'm not, because it wouldn't go very well for you. If I was Jesus, I would have said, Judas, you go now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash the disciples' feet, but I'm not going to wash yours. But that's not what Jesus did. As I was reading it this week, I've said, I realized that he didn't send Judas away until after he washed their feet. See, that was the lesson to be learned later on. The disciples didn't know that Judas was the traitor. But later on, I'm sure Peter went, Judas was the betrayer? Jesus washed his feet. And Jesus knew that he was the traitor. Why would he do Oh, I get it. Right after Jesus says in Luke 6, 31, do unto others as you would have them do to you, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And as I was thinking about that this week, I thought about what was going through Jesus' mind as he's down on his knee, washing Judas' feet, looking up into his eyes. And what's replaying in his mind is love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you, who betray you, who backstab you. It's what he taught. And Jesus did it. And he expects us to do it too. Loving and serving each other means loving and serving our enemies, not just each other. Those who disagree with us, those who talk bad about us, those who betray us, those who stab us in the back. The mark of a follower of Christ is to love our enemies. And I'm not talking about the feeling of love because I don't know that we can conjure up a feeling of love for our enemies. We're talking about the action verb of showing love to those who don't even like us. And honestly, we don't even like them. To be willing to bend down on one knee and wash their dirty, 
smelly feet. I think many times when we think of our enemies, we water this down a little bit. Because the Bible says we're supposed to forgive those who persecute us. And so we say, well, okay, I'm going to struggle through and I'm going to figure out how to forgive them. I'm going to work through that. It might take me this week. It might take me this month. It might take me the rest of my life. But I'm going I'm to learn how to forgive. Jesus went one step further than that. He washed Judas's feet the very night that Judas was going to betray him. And he knew it. He knew it. And he didn't have to do it. All right, so we're going to do a quick exercise here, if you guys would be willing. Just going to invite you to close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes for a second. And so I'm going to just ask God, so I pray over you for a second. So Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind someone in our lives that we would consider an enemy. Someone maybe, maybe enemy is a strong word. Someone that we don't care for very much. Somebody that mistreats us, has mistreated us in the past. Could be an actual enemy. Or maybe just someone who hurt you, wronged you. Today, it might be your spouse. Might be a coworker, fellow student, a family member. Just keep your eyes closed. I keep your eyes closed. Just nod if you if you have someone. Just nod your head. Most of you, yeah, okay. All right. So now. I'm just going to ask God to reveal something to us. You keep your eyes closed. So God, I pray right now that you would reveal to us a way that we can show good, that we can do good to that person. Something that would be a blessing to them, that goes beyond forgiving them, but actually it would be a blessing to them. Could be sending them a card, baking them cookies, making a phone call, trying to resolve conflict. Could be sending them a, a Facebook message or a text message. But something that you know would be good to them. OK, you can open your eyes. Now, if you would. Grab the pen in front of you and write that down. You don't have to write the person's name down, but write it down on your handout. Just write down, you know, bake a cake or make a phone call. Just write it down. Make it real. Make it real. You guys know where this is going, right? I did this exercise this week. Man, it's hard. It's hard. But I'll tell you this. Now you have a decision to make. OK? Many of you have a person, and you have a, an action item. 
Here's the question. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? If you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, that means that you will do what Christ did. You will obey his teachings. Jesus showed us how to love our enemies. He expects the same from us. Because I can tell you, I, I took a couple of action steps this week. It was hard, but great fruit came out of it. Great fruit. Because if you actually do the things that Jesus said to do, that we actually show love to people who don't deserve our love, that's going to be abnormal. It's going to be uncommon. It's going to be rare. And it makes people take notice. That's who we're called to be. We're called to stand out. And not stand out because we have a, a picket sign. No, we're called to stand out because we love our enemies, not the feeling, the action of love. And so God has given you guys, many of you, an action step, a person and a step. And so you have to make the decision, am I going to take that action step and move on it? And I would encourage you to do it, no matter what the cost. Because if you believe God gave you that person, gave you that step, and you're obeying him because he modeled that, how can you go wrong? You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. It's rare to show love to our enemies, but it is biblical. It is biblical. Being, you can write this down. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Being a follower of Christ includes doing the hard stuff. It includes doing the hard stuff. Guys, being a follower of Christ is not easy. Jesus says, deny yourselves, take up your cross daily and follow me because it's hard. It is hard. So Jesus showed us how to love our enemies. Let's go ahead and stand. Let me pray and we'll move into our last song. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who showed us how to love way beyond we could ever imagine. So Lord, as we sing this song, I just pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts about how much you love us and how you want us to reflect that love. In Jesus' name. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.